here am I, send me. And Ananias is available. He is attentive. He is open to hearing God's voice. There's an element of surrender when we say, here I am, Lord. And then Ananias says nothing else. He waits attentively for God to speak. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hand on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. The Lord tells Ananias that his coming, his actions, and his message would confirm Jesus' earlier words to Paul. But Ananias did not even pay attention to what the Lord said once he heard the name Saul. Fear took hold of Ananias' soul at the very mention of Saul's name. Look, he says, who are you betraying me to? Saul came for this very purpose to arrest everyone who call on your name. I might be putting myself at risk of being taken to Jerusalem against my will. Why do you put me in danger's way? If this Saul regains his sight, would other believers be at risk as well? Ananias was honest with God, who met him where he was at. Are there any fears that keep us from obeying God? Are you able to identify these fears and honestly bring them before God? Oh, sorry. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus authoritatively sends the reluctant Ananias to Saul and says, go. He tells Ananias how he will use Saul. And if you read the book of Acts, you can see how these are fulfilled in Saul's life. The Lord said that Saul was not to be feared as a persecutor, but rather embraced as a brother because he would suffer along with the saints the troubles that he had earlier inflicted on them. It's worth noticing that the call to Jesus is a call to serve and to suffer. Suffering is not the exception, but the norm for Christians in a sinful world. There's a relationship between the, the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings of his followers in this world. If the world rejected Christ, it will reject his followers. Jesus said, you will be hated by all nations because of my name. We worked alongside coworkers and friends who were put into prison for either sharing their faith or simply for following Jesus. But that isn't our rea reality here today. But although we ha do have many brothers and sisters in Christ in different places 
who continue to suffer on account of following Jesus. Many years later, Paul writes to a younger believer, Timothy, and he says this in chapter uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. He says, "Share in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ." Peter says, "If you endure when you do good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you." leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. When Ananias went to the house, we see that his obedience that is greater after the fear. It is so touching how Ananias addresses Saul. He calls this notorious enemy, brother. In this word, brother, we hear Ananias' obedience to Jesus as well as the love for Saul. Somewhere along the line, Ananias was also changed. The Holy Spirit worked immediately and healed Saul, changing his blindness to sight. When Saul was, ba <coughs> excuse me, when Saul was baptized, it was a public declaration of his transformation. New Testament baptism was an act of obedience to Jesus' example and command and it marks a change of ownership and allegiance. In 2010, there was a news program in a closed country, and this program did a story on the Christian workers, the foreigners, the Americans, with the, along with the local people in that country. Some of these pictures included some local young men getting baptized. And after the story aired, the young men all had to go into hiding. The foreigners in these photos were immediately banned from the country. Local Christian leaders were jailed, and there was even a bomb that was set off in front of a Christian church in this country. Baptism is a significant marker, not only for us, but also in other places. It is interesting to note also that God didn't bring in a great teacher or a preacher to teach Saul. Ananias was an unknown lay believer in Damascus who became God's spokesperson and an agent in Saul's being filled with the Holy Spirit, in his physical healing, and in his baptism. In fact, Ananias doesn't go on to teach Saul, but he only passed on a message from God. Saul's experience of Christ himself was his instruction. And after his baptism, he drew on the grace of the Holy Spirit. After Saul's baptism, Ananias does not bring him to the apostles who were so widely admired, showing that there is nothing human here in regards to Saul's turning to Jesus. Saul's coming to Jesus is only by the grace of God. 
Paul talks about his conversion like this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 7, 17. But when the one who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal, note this word, reveal, his son to me, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human, nor did I go up to, uh, to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away. Afterward, I returned to Damascus. We also hear echoes of this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, where Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, the world reveal again, but my Father who is in heaven. When I first read this story, I thought it was all about Ananias. I thought, wow, if there was no Ananias, there would be no Paul. But the more I studied the story, the more I realized how wrong I was. So here it is. If there was no Jesus, there would be no Ananias. If there is no Jesus, there would be no Paul. Ananias did not convert Saul. What Ananias did was to do and to say what Jesus told him to do and say. Ananias obeyed and he completed God's sovereign work as God turned his fear into a love for Saul. As we see in Paul's accounts, it is God who reveals himself to people. There we go. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. What a turn of events. Saul came earlier with a letter from the high priests in Jerusalem to the synagogues in Damascus to persecute the followers of Jesus. And now he goes to the same synagogues preaching Jesus as the Messiah. It says, and immediately in the synagogues he preached Jesus. Not that Jesus is risen, not that Jesus lives, but immediately Saul precisely proclaimed that Jesus, the hated, rejected, crucified criminal, is the Son of God and the long-hoped-for Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. He is the promised coming one, the fulfiller of all God's promises to Israel. It is interesting to note that the last words we hear from coming out of Saul's mouth before his conversion are, Who are you, Lord? And the first words we hear coming out of his mouth after his conversion is, Jesus is the Son of God. This is the foundation to what we believe. Everything we believe rests on this, that Jesus is the Son of God. Experiencing Jesus as the Son of God is something that goes beyond mental and emotional knowledge. There must be a divine work of grace beyond human, 
so that in and through and behind the Bible and the preaching and the miracles, we see the glory of the Son. Has Jesus revealed this to you, that he is the Son of God? How has this transformed you? How does this continue to transform you today? How does this inform your future? All who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Some versions describe Saul as the man who destroyed and caused such devastation in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, Paul himself says, I persecuted this way to the point of death. There is no doubt that Saul was utterly devoted to stamping out the early church. As it takes time for Saul's preaching gifts and debating skills to develop, the Jews are confused and bewildered with Saul. Saul was asserting with power and with conviction that Jesus of Nazareth, killed in Jerusalem, was indeed God's son, the Messiah. If this was true, it changed everything for Jews and Gentiles. It would mean they had misunderstood and rejected Jesus. It would mean they had missed God's gift and remained in spiritual darkness and need. The real miracle here, sometimes we think, oh, it's his healing. He was able to see again. But I would suggest that the real miracle here was Saul's spiritual strength and courage, considering who he was before his encounter with Jesus. Soon after this, Saul starts to go by the name of Paul. The prophecy concerning his suffering begins to be fulfilled and he would be afflicted with suffering for Christ right up to his own death, although he would be glorified in the resurrection. We watch the persecutor become the persecuted. David Garrison studies and he tracks God's work all over the world. And he tells the story of a young man named Manjnur who was from a cousin faith. He had come to faith in Jesus Christ and he loved Jesus He would boldly share Jesus with others until one day he was kidnapped and he was taken into this compound behind a wall. And outside this wall, inside this, um, inside this compound, outside, uh, yeah, by the wall, they they began to beat him and tried to force him to convert back to his previous faith. And when he refused to convert, they started cutting off his fingers one by one. And with each finger, he would cry out, Jesus, save me. And they would cut off another finger, and they would say, just renounce Jesus, and we will let you go. One by one, they cut off his fingers, both hands. And then they cut off one of his hands. 
he was swooning in his weakness, and he would just cry out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. These men went inside to discuss, what should we do? What should we do? This is going to look bad. When they went out, back out, he had died. He had gone on to be with the Lord. So they hung him in a tree where everyone could see him with a sign that they stuck on his chest that said, no one did this to me. I took my own life. But everyone knew what had happened. He left behind a widow and two parents who depended on him for their livelihood. Some months later, his family received a knock on their door late one, late one night. They were a little frightened when they saw two men at their door. They said, who are you? And they said, are you the parents of Majnur? And they said, yes, we are. And they said, are you the parents of Majnur who became a follower of Jesus? And they said, yes, we are. The two men said, we are the two, we are the ones who killed your son. And we are so sorry. Jesus has now come into our life too. We want to serve you. How can we work for you? How can we help you? We are followers of Jesus too. The path of Majnur is the path of Jesus. David Garrison says, our birthright as followers of Jesus is to lay down our lives like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground. And if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. In Acts chapter 22, verses 12 to 16, Paul recounts this profound moment in his life in front of a crowd. He says, A certain Ananias, who was a devout man, according to the law, and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me, and standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his own voice. For you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name. And Ananias, obedient to Jesus, came to Paul and stood by him. Who are the people and where are the places that God is asking you and I to go to, to stand beside, to bring healing, to bring God's message of salvation? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, 
I pray that we would know that you have chosen us to know your will, to see the righteous one, to hear your own voice. Help us to know your will for us to be your witness to those around us and to all the world of what we have seen and heard. And Father, in our hearts, we declare once more that Jesus Christ is Lord and that there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And for this grace, we are eternally grateful. Amen.